to the Gifted Life Podcast, where we have conversations about organ, tissue, and eye donation and transplantation. You can always find us at thegiftedlife.org. I'm Lori Steele. I'm Joey Boudreaux. I'm Sarah Blakemore. And coming up on The Gifted Life today. A fellow podcaster and kidney recipient talks about new legislation and her venture into the podcast world. And we're going to talk about and learn about microaggressions and the harm they really do. All that more coming up on this episode of The Gifted Life. Here on the Gifted Life Podcast, we are proud to welcome back a friend, Miss Monica Fox. How are you? I'm great, thanks. How are you? Good. Monica, guys, if you remember, she was on episode 110. That was back in 2019, if you can believe. Uh, but she is a kidney transplant recipient and director of outreach and government relations for the National Kidney Foundation of Illinois. An amazing human. I saw her presenting at the AMAC conference, which is the Association for Multicultural Affairs and Transplantation. And I learned that she started a podcast yep. of her fellow, own. Fellow podcaster. <laughs> I love it. The journey continues. So uh, we thought it'd be fun to have her back on to kind of recap her story um, and her passion and what she's been working on. So, Monica, we are so excited. Oh, thank you. I am so excited, too, to be back on with you guys because I have to tell you, the first thing I have to tell you is that your podcast inspired me to start a podcast. Aww. Oh, that's amazing. So it was forward. so fun being <laughs> on your podcast and I started listening to it and I just, I just loved it. I mean, I'm not, not in general, like a podcast listener, but you guys converted me. <laughs> and, <laughs> and when the pandemic hit, you know, we, everybody had to shift virtually you know True, very yeah. quickly and as you stated i'm the director of outreach and outreach came to a complete halt like where are you gonna go you couldn't yeah. go out and you know the general public needs to get this message so i was like well maybe maybe we could do a podcast and so came up with the idea pitched it to my team and they were they loved it and uh, got ourselves some funding, and here we are. And I have to give credit to my CEO, Jackie Bishop Burgess. She came up with the name, and I do love the name The Journey Continues. Oh, yes. Just like I love the name The Gifted Life. Oh. <laughs> well, it is such an important topic, and for many reasons. And, uh, you know, true story, Monica, I, I'm, I've been a nurse for 25 years. I've been uh, a chief clinical officer here at LOPA for a long time, but... Uh, and I am a data guy. So I, I look at numbers and things and I knew it was very easy for me to, you know, it comes to the top of my head immediately. There's 90,000 people who are waiting on a life saving kidney, you know, but but in prep for to, to, to have a conversation with you, I quickly looked at the uh, the numbers in America of chronic kidney disease. And I have to say I was astounded. I am mind blown so is this right? 37 million adults here in the United States are suffering from chronic kidney disease? That is right. And what many people don't know is that um, there are five stages of chronic kidney disease, you know, one through five. 
when you get to stage five, you know, it's dialysis or transplant or die, just to be frank. Um, and the, the more startling part of that statistic that I make sure to share uh, anytime I'm talking to anybody is that 90% of those 37 million people don't know it, don't know that they have one stage or another of kidney disease. And I was one of those 90%. I didn't know. I was walking around thinking I was healthy. Um, and at the, at the end, because what happens is kidney disease doesn't have any specific symptoms. Chronic kidney disease doesn't have any specific symptoms in the early stages that can't be attributed to something else. So um, I was suddenly diagnosed with kidney failure um, in 2013. I had, uh, for a couple weeks, I had sh some, what, sh what I know now is shortness of breath, but I really felt, um, I thought I had a sinus infection because I had this, uh, this cough, this mucusy cough. I didn't know that I was drowning in my own fluid, that, that mm. the fluid was filling up my uh, cavity, basically. Um, and I was feeling really tired. Um, and I eventually, after, you know, sort of two weeks of that and then losing my appetite, not being able to eat, my par my parents and my family were, they looked at me and they said, you, you know, my dad said, you know, uh, you, you're not getting any better. You need to go get treatment. You would need to go see somebody. And so when I finally went, I, I drove myself to the emergency room. Uh, and the last thing I recall is that my, my sister rode with me. She was, she was ready to drive me, but I was dry. I had actually went to work that day. I went to work and I couldn't, I basically couldn't make it from my desk to the bathroom without extreme fatigue. Mm. So I left there and as I drove home, um, I, I told my dad I was going home because I wasn't feeling well. And they basically decided you're going directly to the emergency room. So when I got home, my sister was waiting for me in her car in the driveway. She said, come on, I'm taking you to the ER. I said, no, you have to get in with me. I can't get out. Too tired. You have to get in with me. And I drove to the emergency room and, and uh, she put me in a wheelchair and rolled me up to registration. I did my own registration and I woke up four days later having had my first dialysis treatment. Wow. And the only thing I remember in between that was just that... Um, my sister said to me at some point in the ER that, you know, my labs had come back and they, she said, they say your kidneys have failed. Um, your, your heart rate is erratic um, and your blood pressure is low. They're going to need to put you into an induced coma um, and you've got to fight ahead of you. What are you going to do? And I had a daughter in college at the time. Mm. So I said, I have a daughter who needs me. I got to fight. And so my sister went about advocating for me, advocating that fight. And I did what I could. I woke up and in the middle of the night at the ICU and I, all I could see was the ceiling and all I could hear was the machine. And all I could think was, she, yeah, I'll back it up a little bit. She had said, um, they said that I might not survive the first 24 hours. I was, my, my condition was so critical. Um, and they needed to put me in this induced coma. And I said, I need to know who's going to wake me up. Mm. And the cardiologist appeared from out of nowhere, it seemed. And he said, I'll be the one to wake you up. 
and you'll go to your daughter's graduation. Spoiler alert. She graduated. <laughs> I was there. <laughs> um, but, you know, waking up in the middle of the night in the ICU, I was in the ICU for two weeks. And all you could hear was the machines, the beep of the, of the machines and the, 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 um, the machine breathing for me. It just felt so out of control, you know. But all I could do was look at the, ceiling, at the ceiling and pray to God and ask God, why did you save me? And what is it that you have for me to do? Because God wouldn't save me if he didn't have a purpose for my life. And I now realize he had to keep, he had to bring the big mouth to kidney disease. <laughs> a big personality. To sit in the dialysis chair for three years to uh, gain what I call a master's in personal health <laughs> so that I could raise awareness about organ donation and kidney disease and help others who are walking the same path on the same journey. Mm. I love to watch you present. You're one of my favorite presenters because you keep it light, um, got some humor in there, but then you're so passionate. Like you could just tell when you're talking, like just when you told your story about how passionate you are. So uh, when I learned about your your podcast, The Journey Continues, um, and I just went to the podcast app on my phone typed in the journey continues and there it is the logo's blue orange white beautiful um and then i just started listening it's a podcast uh, you want to promote kidney health and donation stories um and you just let people take you on their journeys it's beautiful thank you i love it i enjoy it the stories are so powerful and stories are what people listen to and how they learn you know i mean some people are about data <laughs> and, and that motivates them. But those are few and far between. It's true. People are driven by the stories and the life of others. And these are true stories. And, and full disclosure here, too, again, you know, I'm a data guy, but, but I am a stories guy. To me, <laughs> yeah. data tells a yeah. story in a way for me. It does. But, but what drew me to organ donation were the stories and mm-hmm. was the impact that... And one person saying yes can give life to, to so many others. And, and, and we have the same thing here. You know, of course, you were on, so you were part of our stories, and you were one of the reasons that we do this. To be able to deliver those stories and, and have people listen to that is such an impact. Uh, it's far-reaching beyond what we can even, uh, you know, even hope for. Yeah, so, I agree. And talking about storytelling, do you have a favorite episode that you have done on your podcast so far where you heard something just so impactful? Each one gets better than the next. But <laughs> the very first episode is one that just holds my heart and literally holds my heart. But it's, And it's the story of a mother, a donor mother, and her son's heart transplant recipient. And it is absolutely amazing to witness, to hear the relationship they have developed and the, and the, the way that organ donation has allowed that mother to go on with her life and the way that she is able to stop at, at the most difficult times in her life where she, you know, thinks about her son and the fact that he was killed, shot dead on her porch at the age of 20 years old. When she stops and thinks about that and that 
thought and that memory tries to take her down, she shared that she's able to go to the Facebook page of his heart recipient or call her up and be uplifted immediately. And it so happens that the heart transplant recipient is a gospel music radio show host. So she is an amazing, amazing lady um, and is always full of positivity and love. And that podcast was, is still my favorite. Oh, and that's a, a good one to start with because that's the first one, you know, when you pop up and you start listening to a new new podcast, or at least I do, mm-hmm. start, from, start from the beginning. And I'm all over the place. Mm-hmm. I have like true crime. I have organ donation, all kinds of podcasts <laughs> out there. Um, but as you know, I'm sure you're, you're finding out for, for us, um, our podcast is an educational tool. So we've had someone mm-hmm. who was looking for information on living donation. Uh, she found the information here, decided to donate, um, and we were able to have that conversation. We have schools who are using the information on here as a teaching tool. And then we have volunteers who are saying, you know, this is where we learn more about donation at our own pace and the comfort of our own home. So what are you Mm -hmm. hearing about your podcast? What are the the pros for it? Uh, Did you have any challenges? Because if you go back and listen to our first one, um, you know, even even us, it makes us cringe like, oh, that first one. We were so nervous. Uh, You know, just kind of walk (laughs) us through, you know, where you are and what you're seeing. Yeah, so we are getting great feedback from our podcast. Um, people love it. They uh, they they really do love the stories aspect of it. Those when we sent out a survey, um, the most moving stories got the best you know uh, marks on our survey, um, and uh, agreed. Just same way, people are using it as an educational tool. Uh, to learn more themselves, to share with others, um, people who are considering living donation. Uh, And just like I was inspired by your podcast, many people have been inspired by ours and have started theirs. A friend of mine who's a living donor, she's an altruistic living donor, she started a podcast called Donor Diaries. Oh, wait, so, we're going to have to do that one, too. Let's see. Donor Diaries? Donor Diaries. I'm writing yes, it down, Miss Monica. <laughs> her name is Lori Lee, and she's amazing. And she started a podcast, and she's sharing stories of living donors. And I think that's just fantastic. There's just so much that needs to be shared and that people need to learn. But I'll say that one of our challenges is that many people are a little intimidated by the podcast platform. And they're not quite sure how to listen to it. So what we've done now is we have now started to share ours uh, in National Kidney Foundation of Illinois. We share the Journey Continues podcast on our YouTube page. It makes it easier, more accessible for people who are intimidated by the podcast platform. I like that. And and we're using social media as well. We just want to get the word out. We're asking people to share it. So it's always good to to share ideas, fellow podcast host, Um, (laughs) ma'am. The the great thing about podcast for me is that it's a learning experience for me as well. So every time we come in to record and we have these industry experts or we have these families, a story that we haven't heard, like it inspires me a little bit and then pumps me full of new information, current information uh, that I can take out into the community, which is where I do most of my work, Um, which, as you said, with COVID, like we're 
kind of getting back out in the community, but uh, we're still not fully there yet. And I so miss right. it, Monica. <laughs> me too. Me too. We've got we got out a little bit this summer um, and did a few, you know, community health fairs and things that were outside. And it was so fun. And even our volunteers were just excited to, to get back out there. Yeah. So I pray that things continue to get better, continue to improve so that we can get back to normal in yeah. air quotes. Right. <laughs> right. And then in the meantime, we'll continue our, our podcasting <laughs> yeah. here and, and talking yeah, with our friends, sure. which is a great thing. Well, Miss Monica, mm-hmm. we appreciate the visit and checking in. Uh, like I said, I saw you at a conference. I'm sure I'll see you at a conference, what, a couple weeks? Seems like you're you're always invited to be one of the speakers, which is, uh, we're pretty proud of you um, for that and the work <laughs> that you, you do. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, I'm proud of you guys, and I'm so glad that um, I had the experience to be on this podcast in 2019 and then again today. But listen, let me just give you a quick update about, so when I was on before, we were talking about the immunosuppressive medication bill, mm-hmm. myself and um, Dr. Cooper, Matthew yep. Cooper. And that bill has since passed. In oh, wow. Immunosuppressive medication bill passed. Yay. Yes. Yay for us. Yay. And um I was actually awarded from NKF and Care DX um, the Kidney Advocacy Award oh, way to go. For, my, for all the work I did on the, through that for that campaign. So I'm pretty proud of that, and just so proud that that legislation passed because it's going to make such a difference for transplant recipients. Think of all the people impacted. And just yeah. just just so for for those that didn't uh, listen to that one, please go back and listen. Of course, one ten, one ten, episode one ten, uh, mm-hmm. and and essentially uh, historically, uh, immunosuppressants were were only paid. Of course, Medicare and Medicaid pays for uh, dialysis and then and then pays for uh, kidney transplants because it's it's less expensive and a, a better way uh, you know of life mm-hmm. with a kidney transplant. But the mm-hmm. immunosuppressants were only paid uh, for three years, if I'm if I remember correctly. Correct. Correct. So, so three years, mm-hmm. and then of course you know it, you know oftentimes people would uh, become non-compliant for you know if they didn't have the means, and then they would end up having to get back on dialysis. So it's such an important bill that was passed, and you did such a great job with that. I I, I can't commend you enough. Good it's job, amazing. Monica. Way Thank to go. You. She can be pretty persuasive. Have you listened to her podcast? (laughs) We love it. Guys, check out her podcast. It's called The Journey Continues, a podcast by the National Kidney Foundation of Illinois. We enjoyed the visit, ma'am. Thank you so much. I enjoyed talking with you. On The Gifted Life, we take a moment for mental health. Yes, Sarah, what do we have today? Okay, so today we are going to talk about the detrimental effects of microaggressions. So as our society is becoming a lot more um, socially conscious and we are doing so much research right now on the effects of racism systemically and also going into depth on what a microaggression is and how it those are just as important. Um, so first, I thought what we could do is just explain what a microaggression is. Right. What is it? So essentially, it's an indirect, subtle, or unintentional discriminatory act against members of marginalized groups. 
So in this context, we are going to be talking mostly about racially marginalized groups. Mm -hmm. So an example of that would be if a security officer follows around a black man in a store because he doesn't trust him. Or if a teacher tells a Latino student, oh, you speak English so well, even though they've been born and raised in an English speaking community. Mm -hmm. So it's these subtle things that happen that aren't overtly violent, but they're still incredibly harmful to marginalized groups. Mm -hmm. And I studied a little bit about it just because we talked about the training Mm -hmm. um, here at LOPA that leadership put into place so that you understand and can recognize Mm -hmm. better and how that impacts people who hear it because sometimes you hear it so much you don't think much of it until you sit down and and really think about it and listen to people i think that's the Mm -hmm. most important part of this is um leading with a listening ear and wanting to understand so that's what we're trying to do here is all be better about that so how is it negatively affecting marginalized groups microaggressions so we have a lot of research that there are psychological and physical um, detriments to this so low self-esteem increased levels of stress, anxiety, depression, even suicidal thoughts of people who experience microaggressions. They're also more likely to feel sadness, anger, and hopelessness. Some physical things, they experience stomach aches, headaches, uh, sleep problems, even high blood pressure. And people who are the victims of microaggressions also use alcohol and tobacco more often. So these are psychological and physical ailments that are directly related and linked to these microaggressions real yeah i can see it it's real and it's something that we can't shy away from talking about anymore i think so if you are a person who has experienced a microaggression what are some coping mechanisms so the first one i want to talk about is that you need to be able to connect and find a supportive group with your family and friends um a lot of people who are in your racial cultural group, who you can rely on, who you can go and find a safe place to discuss these things with. This could be anything from using humor and joking about the microaggressions with your loved ones who you trust, as formal as going to a mentor program with people in this cultural racial group that you can really rely on for guidance on how to react to this, how to process it, how to cope with it. Another strategy is to use microaffirmations. So essentially, it's the opposite of a microaggression. And this is where people of color consciously affirm each other's value, integrity, and their shared humanity. Be a good human. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And turn it from a microaggression to a microaffirmation. It's really powerful within your group. Um, Another coping mechanism is what we call a resisting coping mechanism. And that's combating it. So if somebody says something to you that's a microaggression, combat it. Say that makes me feel very uncomfortable mm-hmm. and I don't and Point it out. Yeah. I don't like the way that you just said that and that makes me feel this way. And the and why. Okay. Yes, and the yeah. why. So don't be afraid to communicate it that that is not okay with you and draw a boundary right. with that person. And that may uh, be the first time that person hears the that, other side. Right. Yeah. And and if you don't say the why because it could be Someone could be intending on having a micro affirmation and in their mind, mm-hmm. and it might be heard as a microaggression. Right. Mm-hmm. Because some of the things that you said there as examples, mm-hmm. I can see how it could, even that could be potentially seen depending on who you are, right. taken a certain way. So I think the, explaining why it this is how it feels to me. Mm-hmm. Yes. And if you are somebody who gets that feedback, listen. Don't get defensive and sensitive. Just listen and hear because that's we want Mm -hmm. to make sure that we are being supportive and we're helping each other. 
Um, the last coping mechanism is what we're going to call a self-protective coping mechanism. So this is when we come into that self-care. So take care of yourself, affirm yourself, give yourself affirmations, but also go a step further and read about the powerful, prominent people in your racial group who are successful, who lead the way in making positive change for your people and see how affirmative and how positive your group is and how impactful that could be for you. It's going to make you feel less self-conscious. It's going to make you want to be empowered to go be the best person you can be. I like it. Good tips. You have a topic you'd like us to cover? Email us at info at thegiftedlife.org. In our question and answer segment, what is the most needed organ? Take it away, Joey. Well, what we see most often uh, is that there's a, the highest need for kidneys. Mm-hmm. Over 90,000 people right now of the 100,006 that are waiting for a life-saving organ, over 90,000 are waiting for a kidney, which is astounding. Mm-hmm. But it's it's simply a drop in the bucket mm-hmm. when you consider the amount of people who actually have kidney disease and ultimately will need a kidney at mm-hmm. some point. The CDC, according to the uh, National Kidney Foundation, the CDC data states that there are about 37 million adults here in the United States alone who have chronic kidney disease. Many of them uh, don't even know it. So what that amounts to is it's basically about one out of every seven people, adults Mm -hmm. that you run into, have chronic kidney disease. So, uh, you know, some of these obviously are are varying in degrees Mm -hmm. uh, of severity. So uh, some of them may have a, a much lower urine output and they don't even know about it. They don't, they, you know, they might have hypertension and diabetes, which are the two biggest risk factors for it, but then they don't really recognize that they have kidney function issue. But uh, what I'm here today to do is encourage you, encourage anyone who's got, especially those who have hypertension, high blood pressure uh, and diabetes, if you've got any issues with urinating or any issues with your urine output, to please follow up with your primary care physician because you may also be one in this same number. So uh, so it's astounding. It's Unfortunately, it's only uh, getting worse, you know, and, and people are starting, at least the CDC and, and from our standpoint, starting to recognize it a little more, mm-hmm. pay more attention, but still it's not getting the attention it deserves. All right. Do your part, guys. If you have a question, you can give us a call, 504-648-3477. In every episode of the Gifted Life podcast, we honor a hero. Today's hero is Terry Allen Coach Bird. And we learn about him from his family. He was a devoted and cherished son, husband, father, papa, brother, friend, teacher, and coach. Loretta, his wife, was his soulmate and the love of his life. He was devoted to her and his family in sickness and in health. He touched the lives of so many people, both adults and children, as a teacher and coach at Bogalusa Middle School and Bogalusa High School for 32 years. He had a way of listening and influencing people, children, and adults alike. That is rare in today's world. One can only hope that he can continue to touch as many lives in his death. 
Allen always wanted to donate his organs upon his death in order to help someone in need. He gave above and beyond what was expected of him, especially when it concerned students, athletes, or family. It was all about the children. He read his Bible every day and was proud to be a child of God. There is no doubt that he is in heaven praising God with the angels, probably trying to start a baseball football team. And now we pause and say thank you to Alan for the gift of life. And that is going to do it for episode 174 of The Gifted Life. Thanks for listening, guys. And remember, you can register anytime as an organ, tissue, and eye donor at registerme.org. Yeah, thanks to Monica Fox for not only for coming onto the podcast twice, not mm-hmm. once, but twice. <laughs> Our friend. And then starting her own podcast because of us, of course, you know, <laughs> but but really for for doing her part in changing legislation that will have an impact on millions who are waiting, ultimately, who are, who are currently waiting and will be waiting for a life-saving kidney. Oh, yeah. Totally changed the game. Yep. A passionate recipient. You can hear it. I like that. The best place to find us, guys, is at our website, thegiftedlife.org. You can listen to any of our episodes on our website or wherever you like to listen, whether it's Google, Spotify, or Apple. If it is Apple, go ahead and leave us a five-star rating and subscribe so that others can find us. On social media, you can find us on our Facebook page, The Gifted Life Podcast, on Twitter and Instagram, at Gifted Life Pod. We appreciate you uh, visiting us there as well. And we do hope that you go out and do something you would normally do to help us make life happen. Thanks, guys. This is a production of LOPA, or the Louisiana Organ Procurement Agency. The Gifted Life is hosted by Lori Steele, Joey Boudreaux, and Sarah Blakemore. Our executive producer is Kirsten Hines. Producer is Shalon Carraway. Intern is Rebecca Ranham. And we are recorded, engineered, and mixed in our Covington, Louisiana studio by Troy Perez. Troy Perez.